0: I want to walk through a conversation um, that I've just been thinking about, um, I've dealt with myself uh, quite a few times. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, it'll be on the screen uh, right next to me, screens right next to me. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this, make every effort to come to me soon. And when you read this piece of scripture, it's going to be kind of weird because you're like, where's the holy part of this, right? Like, have you ever read scripture before and you're like, yeah, that's definitely the Bible? Um, this is a little bit different, but we're, we're going to go somewhere with this. So just watch what Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world. In other words, this dude decided that he wanted to just live in the world, do what he was doing, so he took off and and left Paul. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crinius has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. (laughs) That's funny if you're Luke, right? (laughs) Only Luke's with me, so come soon. Um, (laughs) Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry, I have sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left you in Troas with Carpus as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Dude's going to get it. Watch out, for, watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Man, that's a, that's a powerful statement right there. These aren't light words that that Paul's writing to Timothy. This is towards the back end of his letter, and he's simply saying, like, listen, I am all by myself. I've got one person with me, Luke. You better come soon because I don't know about this dude. Everybody else, when I'm going through my trials and my tribulations literally and figuratively, they've all deserted me, but may not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So today, as we continue on our series, Mixtapes and Love Letters, I want to speak to you from the subject that's not on the menu. That's not on the menu. As we deal with the issue of disappointment and the impact that it has on our relationships and learning to move forward. Will you pray with me one more time this morning? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for your voice. We thank you that your voice changes us from the inside out. We thank you that where your voice is, there's freedom. Where your spirit is, there's freedom. And so, God, I pray that we don't hear my words this morning, that we hear your words. No one needs to hear Jason. We need to hear you. And so, God, as you teach us through your word, I pray that we'd be transformed from the inside out. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Um, how many of you love going out to eat? Show of hands. Like, you love the experience. Like, we don't like spending the money, but we love the experience of going out. Going out to eat. So Eric and I, my wife, uh, she's down here a lot more. Uh, we're foodies. We love going out to restaurants. Um, we're trying to back down a little bit more because restaurants make this grow. And so, um, <laughs> so we've decided we're gonna we're gonna pause on restaurants for a while and and everything. But. There's a thing in me that is really going to miss it, because I love going to restaurants. We love the atmosphere. We love checking out different places. We love, uh, we love restaurants who are doing different types of cuisines, um, and, and just the experience as a whole. But here's one thing that, that really drives me nuts when I go to a restaurant. Maybe you're like me. Is when you get to the restaurant, and you ask for something that you see on the menu, I don't know if you've experienced this for it, and then they say to you, the waitress says to you, well, that, that's not on the menu. And you're like, no, no, it is on the menu right here. They're like, no, 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 that's no longer on, that, that's no longer on the menu. I remember traveling to St. George a little while ago, and there's this restaurant there. I went with, uh, I went with my brother, Pastor Justin, and uh, a few other guys. We, got, we went to this restaurant. We were golfing down there. Went to this restaurant, went in there, and uh, yo, I'm a sucker for strawberry rhubarb pie, and can I get a witness in church today? Some of it, like, I, I, rhubarb is a, um, some people don't like rhubarb. They think it's of the devil, um, but I personally think rhubarb um, it 's the red salary of the garden if you know what i 'm talking about, and so uh, you mix it with strawberries and it 's just amazing goodness but i 'm a sucker for strawberry rhubarb pie, and so I saw this pie come out um, to a couple different, to a couple different people um, at the tables and it wasn 't like a pie; they did it more like a cobbler, and it was like this big and it was in this cast iron thing and it had a big old mound of ice cream on it. come on somebody and uh, and so I was getting really excited. So I was like, I'm going to skip dinner, and I'm going to go for a straight pie. That, like, that's my deal. Um, and I'd ordered an insane amount of fried food. It was like like onion rings and fried chicken. That was like my jam that night. And you, you top that off with, with rhubarb cobbler and ice cream. And so I said to the waiter, I was like, hey, uh, I, I want this. And he says, okay, yeah, sure, not a problem. And uh, so he goes, and he goes back to the kitchen. And he literally comes back to me about five minutes later, and he goes, um, sir, i got to tell you, that's no longer in the menu. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're about to fight. Because <laughs> I just watched three other tables get it. He's like, well, we just ran out. And as he's saying this, that it's no longer on the menu, we just ran out, I'm watching this table full of girls, college girls, right? And they were all like giddy and they're like, yeah, doing the college girl thing, right? And this, this male waiter was coming out all super pumped and happy that he was bringing this table, the cobbler, right? <laughs> As opposed to like the middle-aged balding man table that, that I was sitting at, right? <laughs> and he points and he goes, that, that was actually the last, that was the last one. And everything inside of me was like, oh, Lord, help me now. And I remember experiencing something in this moment over, over strawberry rhubarb cobbler, this, this grand disappointment, because I was so excited I was, I was, like, amped out of my mind. And if you know anything about me, like, it's really easy to get me excited. Like, I'm, like, I'm just like, yes! Like, I'm, the guy, I'm telling the guys, this, this is going to change my life. This is setting the trip up. Like, the Holy Spirit is in this rhubarb cobbler. Like, I was so excited. And then he just let me down in that moment. I felt deep. Like, deep despair. Disappointment. Like, I was like, the trip's ruined. You've ruined my trip. It's college, girls! Have you ever dealt with disappointment before? And maybe, maybe not, like, let's take it a step further. Maybe not like strawberry rhubarb cobbler. Like, you're like, bro, calm down on the cobbler. Probably not in the, in the, in the realm of disappointment, not the biggest deal. But, you know, there's other moments in our lives where we think something's on the menu of life. Right? I think, that, I think that restaurants are a lot like relationships. We can see something that we want and desire on the menu of that relationship. We call it potential. We call it promise only to find out what we're hoping for is not available? Anybody hearing me this morning? And we're disappointed by it. And I, and I don't think we can move through a relationship series like this unless we deal with the issue of disappointment. Because let's just be honest, like a therapeutic moment in church this morning. How many of us, show of hands, how many of us have been disappointed by somebody before? Come on, it's okay. And if they're right next to you, raise your hand big. It's all right. Just look forward. <laughs> oh, yes, I have. <laughs> You know, this is, this is when and where we experience disappointment. And disappointment can be one of the most debilitating things that we face in life. Disappointment will cause resentment. It will cause bitterness. It will cause faithlessness, fear, cynicism, depression, hatred. All right? And we see this in a global scale in the world that we live and a very personal level. As many of us have dealt with this, this issue. And I don't think we can deal with a relationship series unless we deal with disappointment. Because people are going to disappoint us. Friends are going to disappoint us. Spouses are going to disappoint us. Leaders are going to disappoint us. Pastors are going to disappoint us. God will disappoint us. Nobody likes to say that part, though. But if you, if you look at Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, there was a litany of people who were disappointed by God. You ever been disappointed when you wanted yes from God and he gave you no? When you wanted now from God and he gave you wait? Disappointment. Relationships is the fertile ground for disappointment. So what causes disappointment? That's what I'll look at. I believe there are a few in the sea of many things. they are like kind of major overriding causes of disappointment. I'll look at like five of them. I want to throw it at you uh, this morning. The first thing is this. Disappointment is caused by unmet expectations. Uh Uh-oh. Come on. Disappointment is caused by unmet expectations. When we have expectations that are unmet by others in our lives. And sometimes they're unmet when we've conveyed them and the person has blatantly not met those. But there's other times where our expectations are unmet because we haven't conveyed them. Have you ever been there before? Like, I'm married. I've been married for 14 years now, going on 15 in January, and there are some times where my wife has not met my expectations. And I've been very clear about my expectations. (laughs) She's not here. That's why I can say this right now. But there have been other times in our marriage where she hasn't met expectations, and she had no idea that those expectations were even there. There's been times in my life where I haven't met her expectations and they've been very clear. And then there's been other times where I haven't met her expectations because she simply hasn't conveyed them to me and I don't know what I was trying to add up to. But if we're honest, disappointment is caused simply by unmet expectations. Come on, have we had expectations in here? Have you ever, ever paid somebody to give you like physical, like a, like a trainer in the gym? I remember one time I I paid a trainer. I was living in Australia, a college student. I paid a trainer to get me bigger, buffer. And so I worked out with him one time a week. Yeah, you laugh because you know nothing happens for one time a week. And I remember marching in there and having this conversation with him. I was like, bro, where you been at? I've been paying you to make me bigger, Nothing is happening. He's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Somebody thinks it's funny. That's awesome. (laughs) When children laugh, you know you're right on the level. (laughs) I had this expectation of somebody that it couldn't be met because it was, well, it wasn't an expectation that was based in any type of reality, right? And so disappointment is caused by unmet expectations. second thing disappointment is caused by is disappointment is caused by personal failures, our own failures. It's interesting that we will allow our disappointment in ourselves because of our own actions and our own failures to define and impact our relationships. You ever been there before? You ever defined your relationship because simply you failed and messed up in some areas? And somebody who's trying to enter into a relationship with you, be a friend, whether that's dating, marriage, and everything like that, because you've messed up in some things, because you failed in some areas, because we've jacked it up in some stuff, we have a tendency to hold people at bay. We have a tendency to already be disappointed in the relationship because we know what we're capable of. Disappointment is caused by personal failures. Have you ever entered into a relationship with somebody already waiting for it to disappoint you because you know what you'll do to it? We're not talking about anybody else right now. We're talking about what we can do to the relationship. And I think that's something that we don't assess very often. We think, oh, well, disappointment's caused by everybody else's failures. Yes, but I've found so many times that I've entered in a relationship when I look at myself, I'm quickly already starting to guard things and getting myself ready for disappointment because I know what I can do to the relationship. So we've got to understand these things. Third thing disappointment is caused by, it's caused by overt rejection. When we experience personal and significant rejection. Come on, show hand. How many of us have been rejected before in some way or another? I think most of us have. I remember so many different moments in my life where I felt personal rejection. I still, this is a scar on my heart. I still remember a Chuck E. Cheese birthday party when I was nine years old that I was not invited to. I know. Chuck E. Cheese was the jam then. Chuck E. Cheese is scary now, but... I wouldn't bring my kids there. <laughs> but I still remember this. Like, I, could, like I still have the vivid memory of, of, of being, like, not getting, like, standing at school and in, in a group of guys, and this dude, I don't even remember his name. I just remember not being handed the invitation. Rejection. I was nine years old. I still have counseling sessions over that. So disappointment is caused by overt rejection. Number four, disappointment is caused by idealistic distortion. Idealistic distortion. What do I mean by that? In other words, perfectionism. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but come on, we're the perfectionists in the house. The ones that so many times, come on, those of us who are perfectionists, we have a tendency to be disappointed because we rely so much on perfection. Because we want everything to be perfect. We want everything to go our way. We want everything to feel the way that we want it to feel. We want it to look and go the way that we want it everything. It's this idealistic distortion. Uh, We have high ideals in our house, I think so. And there's been so many times that I've been let down. I've been disappointed because I have this weird way of distorting things from my idealism. Because I want perfection in certain areas. If I can talk to the singles in the house... Can I just tell you that dating and marriage and death do us part is not a perfect party. And I'm watching singles nowadays needing perfection in order to enter into relationship, keep a relationship, have like all of these things. And I'm like, yo, it's not even possible. It doesn't work that way. My mother and father uh, uh, in law, but we don't call them in law, in love, whatever you want to call them. Erica's mom and dad, they were married at 16 and 18. And she's told this story before, and there was, there was a pregnancy. Erica was, she was pregnant with Erica. And uh, they've been married for all of these years since then. Yeah, Still married to this day. They helped plant the well, the whole nine yards. And I, and I look at them as a constant reminder that great marriages, great relationships, great friendships are not built out of perfection. They're built from work. Come on, somebody. That's tweetable right there. <laughs> Hashtag that all day long. <laughs> Number five, the fifth thing that causes disappointment is disappointment is caused by unrealistic goals. How many of us have been disappointed as we've set goals for ourselves and others that are simply unrealistic? They can't be met because they are simply just not possible. It's just not possible. I think so many of us go into relationships with this massive setup for people. People are doomed to failure straight out the gate because our real like our, our expectations are so high. They're so big. They're so massive. And it's like, how is this ever gonna happen? There's no way that somebody can hit that mark. So disappointment. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Disappointment is caused by unrealistic goals. I think this is I think this is one of the biggest things that causes disappointment in church life. Uh-oh, can I meddle this morning? Right? We say, oh, I want grace, I love grace. Nobody's perfect, but pastor, when you mess up. <laughs> we love grace, we, we, we forgive everybody, but when my, when my team lead doesn't call me when I think they should call me, there's a problem. We hold this bar, unrealistic expectation. Listen, y'all, I'm human. I'm human. You're human. Because I stand on the stage and preach behind this pulpit does not make me perfect. I'm fulfilling a function right now that God has gifted me to fulfill. Am I held to a standard? Yes, 100%. But we've got to make sure that we are not putting heavy weights on people's shoulders of perfection and ourselves being able to back up and be like, well, that's for you. That's not for me. And we're disappointed because people let us down. And all of these causes are seen and experienced within the context of relationships. Because here's the truth. Relationships are the fertile. If if you're needing to write anything else down for this message today, write this down. Relationships are the fertile soil for life's greatest disappointments. I know, positive, encouraging, K-love, this morning. What did you learn at church today? Relationships suck. (laughs) They are the fertile ground for disappointment. Relationships will disappoint. Friends are going to disappoint you. Right? Leaders are going to disappoint you. Bosses are going to disappoint you. Spouses are going to disappoint you. Kids will disappoint you. Relationships is the ground for which our greatest disappointments, disappointments can happen. Yet we've been designed for relationships. That's the frustrating part, isn't it? You're like, well, man, life would be great if it wasn't for people. <laughs> all right? If I could just go live on an island all by myself, yeah, we wouldn't have to work the gospel out for sure. But we've been designed for relationships. So the question that we have to grapple with today is how do we navigate our relationships and the disappointments that we face in them in order to build and maintain healthy relationships? Come on, show hands one more time. How many of you want healthy relationships in life? We all want healthy relationships. I want healthy relationships. You want healthy relationships. So what do we need to do in order to build healthy relationships in In the context of disappointment, I've got three things concerning this that I want to work through this morning, but I need your help. Come on, we shout number one. First thing is this. We have to face the truth of our disappointment in order to experience a turn in our disappointment. We have to face the truth of our disappointment in order to experience a turn in our disappointment. I want to read you a, a, a portion of scripture that I think is absolutely powerful it's in John eleven seventeen 17 through 35. A lot of scripture, just this, lean in. Everybody lean forward on your chair, right? Don't text anybody right now. Get off social media, all right? It will disappoint you. John eleven seventeen 17 says this. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus was dead. If any of you have heard this story, you kind of know what's before this. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him. And you got to watch punctuation on this as well. you got to watch the tone. Watch what happens. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Period. Period. So it's a normal statement. I feel like when I read the scripture and I look at kind of the, the, the engagement with Jesus, Martha's kind of a logical person. She's looking at things very simply, very benign. If you would have come, uh, he, he wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And he says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Question mark. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world, period. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying, in private, the teacher is here calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Watch, watch, you see the verbiage here? She got up quickly. Martha strolled over to Jesus. Mary got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Now watch this part. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. So we can gather right now that Mary was pretty distraught. Martha was kind of the pause in all of this. She was the one that we're looking to and relying on. She's going to get the plans made up. Everything's going well. And Mary was distraught. She had her crew with her. She's like, ah, he's dead. I don't know what to do. And all the rest of them are like, it's going to be okay. And so she's now going to where they thought she was going to go to the tomb. But that's not what happens. Watch what happens next. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. Exclamation point. She says it very differently than Martha says it. Because what's happening? Mary was disappointed in Jesus. If you would have been here, I feel like Jesus stays out of the town. It said where, where Martha originally met him. He like stays back because he's like, Oh, that Mary girl, she's gonna come at me. She did. She came out in fire and fear. If you would have been here, can you, can you imagine this picture? She fell at his feet, weeping. If you would have just been here. Have you ever been let down like that? Have you ever confronted a father who wasn't there when you were a kid? If you would have just been here. Have you ever confronted a mother who was caught up in addiction? If you would have just been here confronted a friend who wasn't there for you when you were at your darkest moment you would have just been here and well, that's getting real in church this is what Mary was if you would have just been here when they saw her crying and the Jews had come with her crying he was deeply moved and his spirit troubled where have you put him he asked lord they told him come and see verse 35 and Jesus wept Mary's emotion, Mary's passion, Mary's indignation, Mary's disappointment caused Jesus to weep. What was she doing? She was confronting. And here's what I've come to realize. We tend to run from the truth and the reality of our disappointment rather than facing it. I mean, think about it. How many times have we run from our disappointment, ignored our disappointment, or flat out disregarded it as if it wasn't even there? And this tends to be the way that many of us cope with disappointment. The problem is is that none of these help us actually face it, deal with it, and overcome it. She was disappointed, yet she had the strength, the fortitude, the security to literally confront Jesus and the issues that she had concerning her disappointment in him. Here's what I want us to understand. In relationship, in friendship, if we're going to overcome disappointment, we have to confront disappointment. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? (laughs) we got to confront it. Uh, here's why we don't, because it requires vulnerability. C.S. Lewis wrote about this, the tension of vulnerability, when he wrote this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And I think one of the greatest reasons that we do not confront disappointment is because we're afraid of vulnerability. Because here's the deal. When I'm confronting something, I have to be vulnerable enough to show you my wounds. Come on, have you ever said this to somebody who's hurt you before? No, nah, I'm good. Uh-uh. And they, say, they apologize to you. They're like, I am so, so, so Like, and they're broke. Like, I am so sorry for doing that. You're like, nah, it's not even a big deal. Didn't do nothing to me. <laughs> right, because what are you doing? You're simply saying to yourself and to them, I will not show you that that actually hurt me. Because if I show you that it hurt me, it gives you more power that you've already exacted through disappointment. So I'm not going to show you my pain. But the problem is, is that disappointment then turns into something else called bitterness. Because we haven't been vulnerable enough like Mary was to say, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. So the first thing that we need to do to overcome disappointment is we have to face the truth of our disappointment in order to experience a turn in our disappointment. The second thing is this. Every shot number two. Come on, you hearing me this morning? We have to adjust our perspective in order to see a bigger picture. Luke 24, 13 to 21. Lots of scripture. So, you know, this is the Bible here. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way. I love this story. This is hilarious to me, okay? Luke 24, 13 through 21. Now, that same day, this is after the resurrection. This is after the crucifixion, resurrection. Uh, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had just taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. The one named Cleophas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have just happened here? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and in speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Watch this, verse 21, here it is, right here. But we were hoping, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. See, the disciples, they couldn't see the bigger picture at play in their lives, in the life of Jesus, and they were so let down because things did not go the way that they wanted them to. How many of you are parents in this, in this church this morning? Come on, parents, show hands, parents. How many of you are parents of kids over, let's say, over five? Okay, cool. There's a breakoff point. Like zero to, zero to five, nothing's happening. Five, it starts to, <laughs> it starts to cross over. So this is, my kid, this is our life. My kids, we have to negotiate how we talk to our kids about things. Because my kids will go into meltdown mode if we tell them one thing is going to happen and then we switch it on them. Come on, parents. Have, how many of you have kids like this where it's like, hey, okay, today you're going you're gonna to play with so-and-so. They're going to come over. We've got friends coming over. This happens a lot, especially during the fall season and winter season. We're like, Seth and Geist are going to come over. Hannah's going to come over and have dinner and they're going to play. And then all of a sudden we get a phone call. Somebody's sick can't, you can't, like, it's okay, it's, it's, everybody's sick right now. So we get the phone call, and they're like, yeah, we can't come over tonight. It's gonna be and then all of a sudden, we hang up the phone, and we are ridden with anxiety. <laughs> Why? Not because Seth and Kaisa aren't coming over, because we now have to tell our kids. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, well, y- you tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I want no part of this. So we're trying to figure out who's going to tell Justice and child, who's going to tell our kiddos that their friend isn't coming over, that our friends aren't coming over, that they're not going to get to do what it is that they were hoping to do. You ever lost hope? You ever had a hope and then the hope was broken because what you thought was going to happen didn't happen? You ever had that friend and you're like, man, this is going to be my best friend, ride or die. (laughs) Tattoo BFF. And they don't, they don't end up being your ride or die. They end up being, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> disappointment. And so we've got to learn to see the bigger perspective. See, the disciples, they couldn't see a, a, a bigger perspective. They, just, they simply saw their hopes. They saw what they wanted. They ignored everything that Jesus had been teaching all of this time. See, their, their disappointment was the product of their expectations not being met or realized. Bottom line, whether the disappointment is malicious in nature or the product of our wants and desires not being met, the adjustment of our perspective changes the impact, power, and heat of disappointment in our lives. This is what Paul deals with, 2 Corinthians 4 16 through 18. He says, Therefore, we do not give up. Come on, somebody. Come on, that's a part to say amen right there. We do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What's he saying? We gotta flip our, we gotta flip our perspective. Here's a good question to ask ourselves. In the light of eternity, what does it matter? Because how many of us have been bent out of shape? How many of us have been disappointed by things that we shouldn't be disappointed with? How many of us have ever been in that place where disappointment has ruled us so much because we simply couldn't, we couldn't change our perspective? You ever heard the term a mountain out of a mohill? How many of you heard that? You're making, a, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I said this in, in, in Sandy one time a couple, uh, a couple years back. Do you know how to make a mountain out of a molehill? Get close to the molehill. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Because the molehill, the molehill doesn't change, the mole can't build a mountain. You've made the mountain out of the molehill. How? (laughs) You got up in that molehill. (laughs) Some of you have been here, but you're like, you love preaching laying on the floor, don't you? (laughs) I'm tired, (laughs) y'all. People with larger perspectives tend to face less disappointment. Somebody needs to hear that today. People with larger perspectives Perspectives tend to face less disappointment, especially when their perspectives are shaped by eternity. We got we to flip the script on things. We got we to get bigger perspectives. We got to become bigger people. That, that, that mess up doesn't have to break us down that much, right? That disappointment doesn't have to regulate our lives so much if we have bigger perspectives. Man, I've been let down a lot in my life, but at the same time, by people. Like, if I'm honest, like, I could be the most cynical and jaded person on the planet. I've been pastoring a long time. I deal with people. People let me down. People let us down. And I'm still in this preaching with the same heat and the same love and the same passion as I was when I first got into it. Why? Because I would, I'm refusing to let disappointment mess up my perspective on things. Heaven is in the balance. Eternity is the mission. And so we got to keep on going. We can't allow disappointment in people from people to define us. And So we've got to change Our perspectives see things differently. I've always been bewildered by people who can look at art that looks like a four year old did it. And they're like, What I see in this, this is what he was expressing. No, he wasn't. He sneezed and paint flew. That's what that is. They They have a perspective different. The artists in here are like, Oh, no, he didn't. It is Renaissance in nature. It's a perspective thing, I look at the same art as you and I'll be like, what are we doing here, right? Or parents, parents, we get art projects from our kids, right, who are like, so proud, look at this. Like my nine-year-old, my eight-year-old, and my two-year-old, they were doing art together, drawing at the table. Justice drew this thing, it was great, it looked, it looked like an animal. Shiloh drew this thing and it was actually like really good we're like, we should get her in art classes. And then Eliana, my two-year-old, she just scribbled, right? But she's cognitive enough now to be able to do the same thing the other two are doing. So she walked up to us and held up this thing. Lines, hole in the paper because it was just a hard draw, right? (laughs) We're like, oh, it's so beautiful, right? Erica, like, tear in her eyes. She's using her right hand. (laughs) It's a perspective thing. You walk in and look at that and be like, what happened? So we have to adjust our perspective in order to see a bigger picture. Come on, can I get an amen this morning? Number three, the last one is this. The third one is this, is that we have to allow God to attend to the need, the needs of our heart so that we can move ahead. So let's go back to the original, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 18. We went through all this. He says, listen, everybody's deserted me. I don't have my friends anymore. Hurry up and come to me. Can you bring me some of these things? I need you to help me out here. And then he says this, but the Lord, verse 17, remember what? He said at the beginning, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and amen. The truth of the matter is that we're going to be disappointed by people. And one of the greatest reasons that we do not move forward is because we stall out trying to find someone else to pick up the pieces and fill in the gaps left by the person or the situations that have let us down and disappointed us. Because Joe hurt me. One day she got mad at me. She swore at me. She tried to hit me with a car. Like It's a big car. So I'm done with Joe. Uh Uh-uh. So instead of going to God, I go to Devon. Four weeks later, Devon lets me down, because that's just what Devon does. (laughs) So then I go to AB. AB is a solid man. He's got traps. (laughs) But what does AB do? Because he's a human. He lets me down, too. And I go from one relationship to another relationship, from one friendship to another friendship, from one group to another group, trying to find the person that's going to fill the gaps, that's going to pick up the pieces. The problem is, is that we don't get our gaps filled and we don't have our pieces picked up by people. We have it picked up by God. God's the only one that can fill us in the way that we need to be filled, repair us in the way that we need to be repaired so that we can actually have healthy relationships because you know what, AB and I, he's gonna let me down, I'm gonna let him down. But at the end of the day, I can still exercise forgiveness, we can still be in relationship because my heart, the gaps in my life is not dependent upon AB, it's dependent on the faithfulness of God, the God who does not change, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He picks up the pieces, he is the gap filler. So disappointment doesn't have to ruin us. It'll affect us, but it doesn't have to ruin us. So we have to allow God to attend to the needs of our heart so that we can move ahead. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me this morning?